bitch. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Bitch, the Chicago There was a little Spanish flea. <laughs> Hang on, mate, I'm... My Spanish speaking should be louder than your Spanish flea. Oh it no. was a lubba-dubby doo. Hello everyone, what is up? It is me, Ewan, and welcome back to the We Love Dad Movies podcast. We've got something a little bit exciting for you today because today I am joined by the one, the only, Adam Cleary. There is one and only. That's actually quite a good way to introduce me. My SEO for my name is so good that That's I actually can have that. Incredible brand recognition. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, so for those who are listening, you probably remember that I used to work with Adam Cleary at a little place called What You did! I know, we had a jolly good time. Uh, and when I was bringing up the idea of the Wheel of Dad Movies podcast to Mr. Cleary, we pretty much instantly locked down the hunt for Red October as the one that we were going to talk about. Yeah, you can tell the story properly. That it was like three hours in a pub deep. And I was like, listen, 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 <laughs> listen, listen. If you do hunt for Red October... Can I do home for Red October? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah, you can. And that's that was that was that's how that happened. Yeah, yeah. And here we are. Exactly. And and here we are. So yeah, today's episode is gonna be about the hunt for Red October, an old timer of a dad movie, and in my view, me uh, John McTunan's second best movie, I'm gonna I'm gonna say. Uh, John McTunan only makes bangers, TM. That is that is my my hot take. Um but before we get into that specifically, Cleary, I need to ask you, what to you? is a dad movie. And what what are your, in general, before we go into this, what are your favorite dad movie kind of things? Right. I am, like, I'm slightly older than you. So for me, there's a very, Netflix have beautifully put on a new category, which is just 90s action thrillers. Oh, yes. Right? And every single one of those, like, gets me absolutely rampantly stiff. Like, every <laughs> single one of them I adore. Rubbing the right. thighs. Humber October is a classic example. For reasons we will get into, for reasons we will discuss, it's one of the classic ones of the genre. But I just think... Everything from that era, from sort of the critical acclaim of Die Hard down, mm. is what like I like about this particular genre. Like, dad movies to me, this is going to sound really deep, but a dad movie to me is the movies that my mom would sit me down in front of and go, <laughs> go on, you'll enjoy this. I have stuff to do. <laughs> like, it was, there, was no, there was no father figure when I was growing up. It was just me and my mom. And these are the movies from, well... He plays with his toys and he kicks balls around and he shouts and he swears. You like all of this? And she would go down to the library. Oh, North, the library? North Shields Library. Shout out oh, North Shields Library. Brilliant. We're, we're Shout out to North Shields Library. We be, what's, what's the swearing policy? Yeah, should I uh, you away? can go for it. Is right. It, yeah, it's fine. It's not that we didn't have a pot to piss in. It was just that my mother was very careful about which pots we pissed in, lest we'd be out of pissable don't, pots. Don't want to go day. piss in another one person's pot. So she wasn't like throwing money away on VHSs, but she would go down to the library and she would rent the VHSs from North Shield Library, which normally consist of either Red Dwarf or an action <laughs> movie. Right? And that's kind of how I sort of loved this genre. And... Yeah, also, we only ever had terrestrial telly and Channel 4 when it was picking movies. We're talking before Channel 5 came along, by yeah. the way. I mean, when I Channel 4 was picking movies, it always liked to pick stuff like this. So it was just, it was a love born out of just constant saturation and overexposure for me at a very formative age. Yeah. And you know what? Many things like that are true now. There are many things I was overexposed to as a child, <laughs> which I've learned to move on from or dealt with in therapy. This is the one I'm keeping. Yeah. This is the one I'm keeping because I cherish it. It's a it's a wholesome time, and, and you're right. You did grow up in the, the in the zenith of of the dad movie kind I of did, renaissance. Yeah, I whenever did. whenever I think of a dad movie, I think of Harrison Ford in in some kind of '90s movie, and you know, two of them were Jack Ryan movies that came out after this. We yeah. had we had Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. I will say one thing that 
I love this film in isolation. I think Alec Baldwin is perfect in it, right? I wouldn't change Alec Baldwin for Harrison Ford, although I do know some interesting tidbits about this, but I wouldn't change it. But there is a there is a timeline out there in the multiverse where Harrison Ford did do all three of these, mm. and they're a self-contained, perfectly put-together trilogy. And I do wonder how good that would be. That, that is interesting, because it was obviously Alec Baldwin was going to reprise the role in Patriot Games. And I, I forget, I forget. Do you, want, do you want to know the funny story? Oh, go on. So the funny story is, this film did way better than expected. It mm. really elevated Alec Baldwin as sort of like a mainstream Hollywood name, right? So when they came back for the sequel, Alec Baldwin goes, oh, yeah, I'd love to, but this is the kind of money I'd want, <laughs> right? And they turned around to him and said, no, you can't have that. For that kind of money, we could just get Harrison Ford. And he went, huh, well, we'll see about that. So do you know what they did? <laughs> do you know what they did, you? That's brilliant. They actually went and got Harrison Ford oh my for God. pretty much the money he asked for. That That is an incredible story. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, if I'm going to come down to it, I do think Harrison Ford is the better Ryan. Um, yes, yes, and I, I, I think as we get into the into the, 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 the meat of this podcast, we'll probably talk a little bit about Jack Ryan as a character and how... In these movies, he's basically a dork. He is a nerd. He he is like, I'm just a very clever man who happens to work for the CIA. Whereas in the more recent stuff, you know, kind of we had that really weird Chris Pine movie from 2013, and now we've got well, Office God. Jim doing American well, propaganda on Amazon Prime, where it's basically just Jason Bourne. And I feel like this is the central premise of like why Jack Ryan is such a compelling dad movie figure, is because you can look at him and go, Oh, he just like me for real. Yeah, I think he's such a compelling dad movie figure because, and again, I don't think either of you will fully be able to lock down this sentence until a very different part of our lives, but I imagine watching a CIA analyst, right, which, let's, let's be honest, is a nerd desk job, it is, right? Nerdy. You are, you know, you are adjacent to the action stars, so you tell yourself you are the action star because you go at the same parties as the action stars, but you are a nerd, right? And in all these Jack Ryan situations, it's like, okay, nerd, Here's the here's the superhero stuff. Here's the manly man stuff. We're just gonna throw you in, fish out of water. Will you sink or swim? And because he's Jack Ryan, he literally then goes and defuses World War Three, and he you know disarms a chef in a submarine <laughs> in a submarine reactor room. It and is stuff. the chef. I've forgotten about that twist when I was when I rewatched it last night. I was like, oh my god, they did tell the cook at the beginning was, that they yeah. were doing the ah, uh, but. Yeah, no, Hunt for October, absolutely amazing. And also in that special 90s subgenre of just banging submarine movies. You know, we got this, we got Crimson Tide. I mentioned uh, also of uh, your former parish, uh, Scott Taylor was asking what we were doing on his way out of the office today. Uh And I said, oh, we're doing Hunt for Red October. And he went... Denzel. <laughs> I was oh. like, I was like, my man, that's Crimson Tide. And you went, I mean, oh. Crimson's a shade of red. Don't get me wrong. Not just uh, not just the same genre of movie, but also sort of titled thematically. And they both even the have the same way. color poster. Well, yes. So, yes. you know, I can forgive Scott Telford for, for, for that gaffe. But, but yeah, The Hunt for October, um, based on a Tom Clancy novel. Um, not my dad's favorite Tom Clancy novel. He much preferred A Clear and Present Danger. And that was also his, his favorite Tom Clancy kind of I got to hold my hands up. Yeah, I never read a Tom Clancy book. They're they're very thick, uh, and I don't mean that in like in like a dumb way. I uh-huh. just mean they're very dense. Oh, like no, you, no, you no, have no, to like. No. There's a lot of kind of like, okay, Tom. Okay, we get it. You know, you know what an F fourteen Tomcat is, and <laughs> you can tell me. The, the, the <laughs> All right, Tom. All right, oh, Tom. Here we go. Um, but yeah, so saving this, the world, are we? So this Change is, your record. <laughs> this is an interesting one as well because it came out in 1990, and Good it's year. basically a Cold War movie. It's you know, it's 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 all about the USA pantsing the Soviet Union Mm. right at the peak of its decline Mm -hmm. and kind of like really, it's an interesting film to look at in that way because Ramius himself, he is, you know, they talk about him and his background and everything. And my my favorite thing about this is that you watch the first, and obviously if you've not seen the movie, please do 
actually watch <laughs> what it. What are you because, doing here? <laughs> because, yeah. Um, but the first 30 minutes of this movie, you're watching it and you're like, oh, this is a very conventional setup. We've got a madman mm-hmm. with his own nuclear submarine mm-hmm. and he's going to nuke the shit out of the United States and they've got to try and hunt him. And it's called the Hunt for right, October. Sure because they're going to hunt him down. And then slowly but surely you're like, oh, he's trying to defect. And I love that little... Well, like, I, I think this is one of the guy. reasons why of all the, the, the dad movie genre, is it's the one I really wanted to do with you because... A lot of these are exactly as you've just described. Like, here is the premise. There is a madman. There is a terrorist group. There is something. And here is your protagonist who is going to outman them at every single turn. And eventually, even when everything looks at their worst, he's going to come out on top. And this is, it sets itself up that way. It has a lot of the tropes of that kind of film. It even, you know, does a lot of those beats. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Like, my, my, like I timed this last night because I wanted to get this right. It's an action thriller, like Hollywood war movie, right? Mm. There isn't a conventional action sequence, right? Where two sort of sides go head to head till Cocaine Mads catches up with them with 20 minutes to go, (laughs) right? There isn't a gunshot fired until the last 10 minutes and there isn't an explosion until the last five. Like, that's amazing. It's just such good cinema. It's uh, it's very... Visually arresting and also yeah, like ten, like m- basically it's like a, a bottle episode, but you know it's like a, it's a movie. You know, it, mostly action in here is just guys talking in in a very confined, been, cramped space. Do you know what it is? I've been I've been roundly mocked by so many women friends I have over the years who've just looked me at and go, "The only movies you like are men talking in a dark room. <laughs> Doesn't matter whether it's hey. whether whether they're having serious talks or sad talks. All you want to do is sit there in your own dark room and listen to other men in a dark room they're talk right. to other men. And I'm like, do you know what it is? That's class. Yeah, what's wrong with that? That's, that's a great class. time. That's my, that's my idea of a great time. I will say we should probably flag up the like there there's this is I think possibly the fewest women in a movie <laughs> in this is in this movie. <laughs> I counted. <laughs> Gates McFadden gets about two lines at the start oh where God, she's that's like Gates McFadden of Star Trek. Of Star Trek oh fame. Yeah, God, yeah. So Gates, McFad- Gates McFadden, uh Dr. Beverly Crusher. Weirdly, she's in two things really in a whole career. She's in this and Star Trek. Both times married to Jack. Someone. Isn't that interesting? Anyway. So she's giving giving it all that as he's on his way out the door, like, you know, chewing his ear off. And then there's an airline hostess uh, who says, like, one line. Some sleep. That's it. (laughs) And that's it for women. Mm. That's it for women in the whole movie. Well, um, well. Too right, Ella. Exactly. Uh, So that means the movie's bad. No. No, Um, no. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those where, like, it, you're right. In terms of like, I think of like conventional action dad movies. You know, that you yeah. think of like all the explosions or whatever. Most most of this is just the tension and of you basically looking at these guys who you think are going to be the main adversaries and rooting for them desperately to make it out to the other end and hoping that mm-hmm. you know everyone will just listen to 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 Jack and 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 they'll come through okay in the end. And I have to say, like the actual ensemble cast here is oh, it's incredible. Ridiculous. It's incredible. It's ridiculous. I couldn't believe right. It, Sean Connery as Admiral Dramish. He is he is wonderful in that role. I don't care if, if you're gonna you're gonna watch this movie and complain about him having like a bad. Like, what are you doing? It's, just, it's his accent. Just who cares? This, I will say right before there is like obviously some things we'll get to like you know maybe uh, maybe this is the push that went in the slightly wrong way with this and maybe the accent's a bit janky here and there. I was I looked at the IMDb trivia right mm. and there's one point of trivia which is like oh, this is slightly wrong because the way this particular boat would launch missiles would actually do it the other way. But then it literally says, but this is, of course, a work of fiction, so anything is possible. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And if we can listen to Sean Connery doing 
Scottish and then maybe trying to do a Russian voice but while Sam Neill commits to the bit for the entire thing. Yeah, fair. That's fine. But yeah, the, uh, the, the cast of the actual Red October itself, this new nuclear attack sub that has uh, new jet propulsion engines that, that cannot be tracked through through sonar. As Alec Baldwin keeps calling it Caterpillar. Caterpillar. The Caterpillar. Caterpillar. Um, that, that, it's just made up of, of just absolute wall-to-wall dudes. We've got Sean Connery. <laughs> we've got Tim Curry. Um, and uh, obviously Sam Neill You're James Bond, well. Pennywise, and Dr. Alan Grant all running a submarine. It's just like, great. What do you want? And I, I really like Sam Neill in this. I feel like I had the epiphany the other week, well, in fact, yesterday when I was watching this, where I was like, I really like Sam Neill, but I think I've probably seen him in about four films. Yep. Yeah. Two of which were good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, sorry, I've seen him in, Three. as of this week, I've seen him in five, and that one's not good at uh, all. Okay. I've seen, oh, you watched Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. Oh. We do a whole other podcast on that that's, if you want, yeah, that's, that sounds like a big old, oh big old stinky. Uh, and then on the American side, we have, obviously, uh, Alec Baldwin as Jack Ryan. Yeah. We have James L. Jones as the CIA director. Um, and who I actually think might be the unsung hero of this movie in terms of performances, and that's Scott Glenn. Yeah, right. So he based this performance. Oh. He actually went. A few of them actually went and were stationed on actual subs to get sort of that. like the procedures right and the mannerisms right. Big fan. But the one that Scott Glenn was on, he was actually the captain of that sub, told all the uh, bridge crew, anytime you have to report anything, report it to him first and then tell me. And like if he says anything, like... Do it, like, treat him as if he is, like, the actual captain. And he was, like, I literally just copied this real... He was an admiral, the guy who was, like, running uh. the boat. He was, like, I copied his performance as close as I could. So if you ever want to give me praise for this performance, give it to him. That's <laughs> wonderful. And he, he... Glenn has, like, a history of just playing hard asses who are just, like, really grumpy and, like, oh, you're a hard time. He's so calm. But he's just... So calm and in this. that's the interesting thing about this is, like, the, the film... What I what I find most impressive about him for October is that like you're right, like most of the action is confined to these insular spaces. But when the camera moves out and you see these big hulking weapons of Armageddon, mm. you're like, Oh and that makes you, you know, when you see the, the calmness, the ice cold mm. kind of, you know, whereas, you know, with with Glenn's character, he kind of you know, he is just like the cold authority that kind of like guides his crew. Whether it's um, you know, uh, the actual the, the the sonar technician, the guy who actually tracks the October on on there and he kind of like he's great as well. to really great. he's really good um but yeah like it's like i find that really really impressive it's the same when i was watching top gun maverick i'm like these these weapons of war you're actually like putting we put dudes in some ridiculous things oh, in yeah, real yeah. life yeah yeah and they just know how they just like they know how to use it yeah so. and i thought that was that was like the really thing good. is it's such a claustrophobic movie in that like when you think about the production of it it must have been dirt cheap to make it's about four sets yeah. like the whole way through the film it's such a claustrophobic film i think they do they don't do the thing that normal submarine films do which is try and make you sort of like constantly try and make you scared of the water do you know what i mean mm. you're never scared of the threat of like these people drowning you're scared of the threat of like nuclear war and then being blown up which for a submarine movie is quite a different Tack to take because normally the easiest one to do is like keep making like oh there's a little water bit little water bit springing in and knocking on the hatch and stuff and you never get yeah. that you feel like you're in this like you feel like you're in the safest place in the whole movie mm. except for when another one appears. <laughs> I was gonna say you feel like you're in the safest place until Stellan Skarsgård shows up and is like like to- like. Toyota Corolla submarine. He is absolutely amazing. He just like I feel like before he went on, they just someone just chucked a big bucket of water at him, and and he was like, "Okay, Stellan, you're on." And he's like, "Do I have my lines?" And he's like, "Uh, "No, uh, here's a cigarette." 
Uh, just go in. I've got to. I've got to thank my brain so much because every time I watch this movie, I enjoy a particular line delivered, right? <laughs> and then my brain goes, "Do you know what? You love that so much. I'm not going to remember it for next time, so you can have it all over again." <laughs> and it's you ass. You've killed us. <laughs> yes. You ass. You ass. Your last words on this earth. <laughs> you ass. Oh my god. Yeah. So St- Stellan Skarsgård basically plays. So so Raimi is Sean Connery's character. He is like the big granddaddy of the Russian fleet. He is the guy who is like. Not only um, presided over the launches of all their their fanciest attack submarines, and he's basically trained the entire officer corps of the Russian Navy. And and Tupolev, who is Stellan Skarsgård's character, there's, there's implied to be a bit of you know beef between them. And when he basically finds out that he's been given the orders late to sunk, to sink the they're in October after they basically you know go. That's I mean raising my fingers uh, to to the. The, the, the Good radio, that yeah, <laughs> uh, doing that to to uh, the the Soviet Union. He basically is like, oh, I need to kill Rabius. I need to kill him, and it's like he doesn't have anything to do in this movie but sweat and smoke, and and yet he does it, and he so does well, it so well. I was just like, hell yeah, hell there's yeah. There's certain movies where you think if you'd given any other character those lines, it wouldn't have been as well. But I think if you'd given any other character those tabs, it wouldn't quite have worked. <laughs> I will yeah. say it's one of the few films. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a smoker. I'm not, and uh, you know, I'm, this is not me trying to try and warp anybody's How mind. How dare you warp the views? But I will say it's very few movies that make smoking look as cool as this film does. I love the bit where. And we're kind of doing this in a completely non-linear way here, but the <laughs> bit the bit where um, they land on the Red October yeah, and, and Jack Ryan, who he's like, ah, I don't smoke, ah, I don't smoke, and then and then the engineer, who is the coolest, he's the coolest customer on that ship, very engineer. good engineer, uh, and then he gives him a cigarette, and he's like, he's turning green, he's boys. turning green, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's just great, and it's it's that kind of you know reaching across, and it's kind of like what it's why. why the enduring themes of Cold War fiction, you know, going back to like Star Trek, mm. you know, like the idea of like, you know, the even though these people are on two opposite sides, that mutual respect. They're just boys being dudes. They're just boys. They're just boys being dudes. Yeah, they, they might just they, guys being men. They might blow each other up in the water, but for the most part, they'd just be, you know, in any other scenario, they'd be pals. I do, I do think, and again, we probably do need to sit, we probably need to go through the structure of this film a little bit in a second. Mm-hmm. But I actually think, like, when you look at the motivations, because there's effectively three sides in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. There's the U.S., there's the Soviets, and there's Ramius, because for such a long time, he's kind of this gray area in the middle. You're not quite sure which way it's going to go, and of course, both sides, right until the very end, aren't really sure what what he's doing. It's probably one of the, the the rare movies where everybody's motivations are not exactly laid out for you. They don't really go into a lot of detail about what Ramius is doing. It's only a couple of throwaway lines he really gives. And yet at the same time, you kind of understand why all three sides are doing what they're doing. Like the US, obviously, if there's a chance to get him to defect, they'll snap your hand off. If you think he is gonna he is absolutely lost his mind, he's gonna blow up like Washington, yeah, you're gonna try and shoot him down. Ramius, he gives that bit of an explanation about, like, you know, I, as soon as I saw the ship, I knew it was own design for one thing. And then there's all the stuff about his wife. You can kind of get where he's coming from. And then the Russians, it's like, well, your boy has gone and taken your biggest toy. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to go yeah. after, you're not being unreasonable, all the bad guys there to try and sort that out. And that's that's the hallmark of compel. I think that's what Tom Clancy was really good at, was that he was able to make um, even these, like, you know, I wouldn't even actually say this is an outlandish presence, not, certainly not less so than Crimson Tide, which was actually based on, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, but reenacted in a different scenario. But he was very good at taking these these larger-than-life kind of narratives and grounding them in, you know, actual character-driven drama mm. and the actual political context of the time. You know, it all feels very believable 
Um, it, it, it's not outlandish at any point. Yeah, they might ham up some of the actual, you know, confrontations between the submarines themselves. Um, but Clancy was good at, at actually, you know, making it seem as if, you know, there were actual political stakes on the line. And I feel that's something that he he got better at as a writer, um, and particularly in A Clear and Present Danger, which I don't think is as good as The Hunt for October. Um, but, you know, as a political thriller, maybe excels a little bit more. I, after watching this the other night, I've resolved to go and watch the other two because, I, again, I do think of them as slightly... Dis- distinct uh, separate entities to me but I, mm-hmm. purely because of like obviously Ryan getting recast from Baldwin to Harrison Ford again I would love I would love to have either A seen Harrison Ford in this or Baldwin do the other two because mm. um, I think it's only James Earl Jones which is the, the, the connecting yes. thread between yeah, all three yeah. of them but yeah just I don't know like there's so many bits about this movie which if you just told them to somebody would sound terrible like the lack of action for example the the, ch- the way they change from Russian to just speaking in English with a faint Russian accent except for Sean Connery who just stays as Sean Connery that just shouldn't really work but in the context of this movie like I love the way the language changes because mm-hmm. it's just they had two the two options either they can speak in Russian or they can speak in English right that was the option of doing it now you you do it in Russian all of a sudden you're not casting Sean Connery and uh, Sam Neill and Tim Curry are you you ca- you're going to cast some people who can convincingly speak in Russian for a two hour long movie but you do you want the star power so they went and did that so well he's having to speak in English but it's a bit old hat it doesn't really give you that you know you put these famous famous like British and American actors on a submarine and say look that's a Russian sub. It doesn't really land, does it? It like, feels like a BBC drama if you yeah, put it Yeah, because way. how else do you distinguish? Like, the inside of a submarine is incredibly undynamic. You know, the Navy uniforms aren't, like, red and blue. You know what I mean? They're not, like, particularly eye-catching. How do you go, look, this is what the inside of a Russian sub feels like? And they spend the first 15, 20 minutes making it really feel like the inside of a Russian sub. Yeah. And the way they change it over, I look this up as well, it's when he's reading the Bible passage out. It's, it changes over from Russian to English when he says Armageddon, and they chose that word because it's the same in both languages. Oh. It's pronounced slightly differently, but it's, it's the same oh, word in both good. languages. That's why, they, yeah. that's why they flipped it. So I guess we should probably do a, a little bit of a synopsis for the sickos out there who maybe are continuing <laughs> to watch this or listen to this and haven't seen the movie. Um, basically, what you have here, you have you have Admiral Ramius, played by Sean Connery. He gets in, put in command of the Red October, which is a first strike nuclear submarine with oh, brand it's a new doozy. stealth engines, which render it undetectable to US military radar systems, which means that it could park itself in their own woods. You could park it off the coast of of New York and you wouldn't know. The the line used was, uh, I helped my father build a bomb shelter because some jackass put like (laughs) a few boats 90 miles off Florida. Someone could park this three miles off Washington and wouldn't know about it until it was all over. proving your Red October ultra fan status to me. Uh, here. I just watched it last night. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, we did, we did watch it last film. night. Well. I love this film. Um, but yeah, that happens. And then Jack Ryan were introduced to as a historian, stroke CIA nerd, analyst who nerd. is very, very familiar with the work with with Ramius as a person. He met him before the actual uh, events that are that are going on. Um, during this time, he's researching the new submarine, and this is where we go back to the Russian sub, and Ramius kills the Soviet political, political officer, officer on board, and he slipped on some tea. And such then, a, such a shame. Such a shame. Such a shame. Uh, and he then relieves the, uh, the the political officer of his other nuclear weapons keys. So he has both the keys. At this point, you're like, oh my God. Uh oh. Uh oh. Um, and he shows this to um, the doctor, played mm. by Tim Curry, who is kind of like the uh, <laughs> most unusual. The most. He's, he's not very fond of what's going on right now. No, he's a stickler for the rules, that kid. And a random cook. Um, a, what, sorry? a random cook. Oh, right, sorry. A random cook. Sorry, I'm from Newcastle. I really emphasize both O's when I say that. Oh, random cook. Oh, yeah. Hey. 
Um, and then we go back to uh, more research, and then basically he 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 throws out the old orders that they were given, which was just to do some you know bollocks military drills of the Soviet Union. And <laughs> it's like I've got a new course. And then they basically uh, revealed that that they are defecting. Yeah, it's, the bit that comes sort of in between this is they go to the there's sort of briefing. They get basically tipped off by the Russians that something's really amiss here. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, like, all the, the Russians scramble all their subs to the American straight like, oh, what's going on here? Then they initially get the whole, like, oh, it's a, it's a train maneuver, which obviously they don't buy. But then the Russian consulate goes, oh, I'm now authorized <laughs> to tell you that one of our <laughs> captains has gone. He's, he's gone. He's great, by the way. I forgot. He has two played. scenes or three yes. scenes, and he's brilliant in all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so r- the Russians, quite smartly, in my opinion, Spin the spin the yarn that uh, actually he's gone mad and he's going to blow up your cities. Why don't you shoot him down? Why don't you sink him for us? So the Americans are obviously like they've got no reason to disbelieve that he's in the most power. Like, face with the options, what seems more? I think the, the president even says, "Isn't he? What what's more likely here? Mm-hmm. Like, he's going to you know wage war on us, or he's going to defect and give us the biggest gift we ever had." So it's then Alec Baldwin's job to go look. I know this guy. He is. He will be defecting, and he forces like. A series of high-profile American military figures to take a punt on this as the, as the film goes on. And I love that about this mil- movie because he's not... Like, we've already talked about him being a nerd and a dork, but he's also an outsider. Um, but he's mm. not enough of an outsider that they can't discount him entirely because they talk about, obviously, how he... I believe he was in the Marine Corps in the books and then he uh, had a horrific accident where, you know, he basically got crashed out of, of, yep. out of that and then went on to do his, his intelligence career. So he's not... He's, he's still an outsider... But he's so familiar with the workings mm. of everything that he is essentially the most qualified person in the movie to deal with with all of this. Yep. And I love how persistent he is. I think I think that's that's Jack Ryan in a nutshell. Is this the persistence and you know when you just know something? I think that's quite label. When, when you're so confident about something and, and you know it and you just want to go for it. Um, and he stakes a lot on this because if he, it, honestly, I was watching it last night and I was like, to be honest, if I was any other person in this movie. I think I would have blown up that sub as soon as I saw it. Oh, literally, like, the team manages to pull this off by convincing, yeah. like, secretary, he does the briefing, he then, I mean, there's a point where he has to com- convince a submarine captain later on, who's, like, got literally the lives of hundreds of sailors in his hands, mm-hmm. and he, like, manages to get him to take a risk on it. Mm-hmm. It's, I do not believe at any point I would have trusted a single word this suit was telling me. I would have ordered him on the bottom of that seabed at the earliest possible opportunity. Too much at stake. You think and about you know it, the what? law of I'd averages. Been, I'd have been right to. Yeah, you would be. You would have been right to. I would have been wrong, ultimately, but I would have been right to do it. Exactly. Um, so, so we get that. Um, we have this really good sequence where they basically fly. After, he conv- after they have that briefing with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, we have that great sequence where he basically gets put... Um, on a on a plane to um, <laughs> he's got the turbulence. He's in like the AWACS vehicle. He lands <laughs> on the aircraft carrier, uh, and he has to convince. Um, oh, it's that guy. He's also in Die Hard too. The, the the guy who's in charge of the aircraft carrier, Fred something or other. I've forgotten his com- I've forgotten his name completely. It's, it's Fred Thompson. That's it. Fred Thompson. Fred Thompson. He was also the aircraft controller in Die Hard. Um, and he has to convince him to basically be like, "Hey, you've got a super, you've got a submarine in this area that's been might might have been you know trailing in the October. Get me on that submarine." And it's interesting because we mentioned earlier on that there's, there's a lack of conventional action sequences in this movie. Generally, w- one of the most thrilling, I think, actually the most thrilling scene for the for me in this movie is when they're trying to get him on the goddamn submarine. Well, this is, this is the, one of the things that marks him out as an action star. That I think probably the moment where it goes from being like this is just some desk nerd who's got a hunch to like. This guy's actually gonna. This is, like he becomes part of the story as opposed to just being this outsider giving the advice. Is when he cuts that cord himself mm-hmm. because they can't safely deliver him 
they can't land him on the top of the submarine because it's it's too choppy, it's windy, the winch is bad, etc. Blowing someone's head off with his feet. So he literally just cuts his own cord and drops into the sea, and presuming that the the guys on the sub will be able to pull him out, and that's it. It's like right, well, you're committed now. Yeah. You're literally, you've Four literally, minutes, you've literally cut off. the safety cord. Yeah. You are all into this now. I love that scene so much, and just the uh, the, the 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 look of just intense. Doneness that that Glenn has when he when he's on the sub and he's just like, <laughs> it's like Skinner when he's pathetic. pathetic yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's very much that. Uh, so he gets from the submarine and slowly but surely is able to convince, um, you know, the the captain that that um, the Red October is trying to defect. They make contact with the sonar pings and the Morse One code. Ping only, please. One ping only. Verify distance. Um, and then we get the whole thing where you know they, they they fake the the nuclear accident to to evacuate all the troops off board because obviously only the officers are involved in this in this defection. Because if you were to have the entire group involved, yeah, that's too, many, too, too many, many risks, too many people, too many, too many variables. Can't you know? do it. And it only takes one madman to throw the whole a big spanner in the works. Of course, of that, course, that does happen. Doesn't throw a spanner in the works, does he? There was a saucepan. He does. The cheeky minx. And he and he blap blaps. Poor old Sam Neil. Wrong. Oh, I've got to read. I've got another. I've got one. My final good fact. For Go you. on, do it. Right. Sam Neil's last line in the movie is. I would have liked to see Montana. The next time we see Sam Neil in a Hollywood movie, what shut is he up. doing? Shut up. Dustin for dinosaur shut, bones. Shut the fuck Where's up. Where's he doing that, Ewan? Oh, he's in Montana. <laughs> oh my God. What? They faked his death in the hunt for an October. Yeah. He was actually secretly was a actually, paleontologist. Yep. Deep cover paleontologist. Wow. They're never talking about what Alan Grant was doing before Jurassic Park. The Jurassic Park, Tom Clancy Shared universe. universe. I'd like to live in that world. Yeah. I would like to have seen the, the Clancy, <laughs> the Dino Clancy verse. I was about to say, I'd love to see, read Tom Clancy describe a dinosaur. Like, he would probably put it in the most militaristic terms. Ten guns on it. Yeah, yeah. Adaptive camouflage. Adaptive camouflage. Um, but yeah, they, they managed to make it onto the ship. Again, with, with some help from the earlier ship nerd that... That Ryan meets in the movie with their little kind of mm. Thunderbird Four vehicle, where it lands on the on the the submarine, uh, and then we find out the cooks, the guy that's been sabotaging things aboard the Red October, and a shootout ensues. And this is where I feel like the pageantry of the movie really it's, comes it's, through. It's There's the that only shot bit. where he's looking, he gets into the the missile silos. And you mm. have that amazing shot where the camera just pans back after after Ramius has been winged. Um, and you have that amazing shot of Alec Baldwin kind of pressed up against one of the tubes and just row after row mm. after row of nuclear, like, launch. And it's just, wow. You do find he really, like, I think it's, the stakes are always presented to you. Nuclear sub, very dangerous. But it's that bit at the end, right, is like, because the, the sort of, the, the finale of this movie is basically two concurrent action sequences. There's a deeply personal 1v1, Baldwin versus the chef. In the engine room, and then Swedish there's the chef. then there's a submarine battle going on outside. It's very very Hollywood thing to start mixing these things up at the time, but it's right before that kicks off, just before they start giving you the big traditional action sequences where you've really got to like get the heart rate up for the last couple of minutes. They give you that one shot, and it's like if you did not fully appreciate these stakes, mm-hmm. if just the words nuclear sub were bouncing off you, if nuclear Armageddon's too passe for you to appreciate, look at this. That's what it's. That's what this sub is like. It's not just like oh, roll up and you know a couple of missiles here and there. It's not like what you're imagining it. This is genuinely something terrifying. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they have allowed it to get to this point where they have risked all these lives, they have allowed Baldwin to get on the sub to make the case for allowing Ramius to defect. The Russians haven't caught him yet. How tense this actually is, 
and what's at stake is just, it's such a subtle bit of filmmaking because there are a hundred other ways they could do that. All more garish and over the top. Exposition, simulation of nuclear blasts. Yeah, yeah. Look, they could do all that and yeah. they don't. They just let you see it. for the, for the uh, just, just as Jack Ryan is seeing it for the first mm-hmm. time as well, remember. Yeah. And then it's like, you get a second to take all that in and then it's like, Here's your ending. For, Here's your ending. For my mind, there is nothing more terrifying as a concept to me than nuclear Armageddon. Uh, and I feel like this, it really, it, it sh- like you say, it shows so much without showing anything. Yeah. You, there are a few earlier shots in the movie where you see the, the Red October from the, you know, the top down. You can see the different missile silos mm-hmm. along the top of the deck. And it's like, you know, I think it's got like, what, like nine or like like a, maybe like 16 or something. Too many, I would, too, too many. I would offer too enough, many. Enough to level the entire eastern seaboard. Um, and yeah, that, that, that shot, um, is, is affirmation to me that, that John McTiernan, again, only makes bangers. He was such a, such an amazing filmmaker. And I feel like, you know, just, just to go on a bit of a tangent about McTiernan himself, you know, he did Die Hard and then he, and then he did Predator first, then Die Hard. Just miss. Hunt for October. Um, Last Action Hero, which I also think is very, very underrated. Criminally underrated. Yeah. Um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. And then he did uh, a few other things. He did uh, the Thomas Crown Affair, which I hadn't seen. And I watched The 13th Warrior last year, and you can tell that it was not his movie. It was like kind of like, you know, it had been bungled by someone outside. And he did Basic in 2003, which was um, kind of like a... It's, a, it's an okay thriller. It's got John Travolta and... Um, I haven't seen that. And uh, Samuel Jackson as well. It's it's. Uh, I think it's about a deal. Is there an argument this guy had the best directing yeah, the, run the, of anyone? The, well, an incredible streak of movies. Uh, and he hasn't done any movies for the past two decades due to some, uh, let's just say, criminal uh, things that, 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 that occurred. Uh, and I don't think he's probably going to be doing any movies again. Oh, did he... Uh, did he? Because there's a few. There's a few yeah. people in this film where you're like, didn't you? Oh, yeah. you did, yeah. No, there, there was some allegations over, basically, I feel like he invaded. He, yeah, he, he, I think he wiretapped some people, allegedly. <laughs> um, and yeah, now he is bankrupt and he's not doing films anymore. But Predator, Die Hard, Home for Red October. Oh, there's a movie called Medicine Man there, which I haven't seen either. Delete that. Um, delete Medicine Man. Last Action Hero, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and then and then the other two. But Thomas Crown Affair is actually, I actually low-key... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. You fuck with Thomas Cranifer? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I actually I'm did. I'm going to add it to the watch list. I actually did. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Yeah, McTiernan is a filmmaker. Um, I feel like just had such a great eye for action. And, and in this, it's it's so it's simultaneously his most understated film, but also the one where, you know, it's the most epic in scale. I will say the one Hollywood element of this where it, it sort of detracts from, like, the way the rest of the film is, is obviously that last... That last submarine battle mm-hmm. where you've got Red October, the US sub, <laughs> and Stone Scars and, 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 and you get this really slow moving torpedo that just chases the American <laughs> boat around for 10 minutes and then goes up here and goes up there and does all stuff. I don't know how else you could have ended that film. Mm-hmm. I am completely like, if that was, I will say, if the Humber Red October was all those sequences, it's a really bog standard, terrible submarine movie. Mm. But it's earned the right to have that one bit of silliness just to get you over the finish line, I think, at the end. Yeah, no, I would agree. Because uh, everything else about it is so compelling. And I feel like after, once once the dust settles on that action, you also have just... I, 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 I love that scene at the end where it's just them drifting into... Um, they're in Maine, aren't they? Yep. Yeah, they're in Maine. And um, Ryan and, and Ramius are having them. Before that, I love that exchange where uh, Ramius is like, you wrote that book? We're all wrong, Grind. You're all wrong. all wrong. I love that so much. You're an idiot. Yeah, and then you have that whole exchange at the end when they talk about fishing. Obviously, you know, um, Ramius had talked earlier in the movie 
about you know how his dad was was um, used to take him fishing, and there's so much unspoken trauma with Ramius's character. Obviously, he had the death of his wife and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. But it is, I think it is interesting. I know how he's like he's he's Lithuanian, which is obviously you know forcibly incorporated into mm-hmm. the USSR. There's a whole history there, um, and just that 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 entire ending sequence, you can see the relief in this, the contentness even. Um, I love how expressive Sean Connery is in this movie, and that that line at the end as well. It's like a little revolution every now and then. Didn't any, didn't harm anyone, and I, yeah, no. It's I, so, I, it's I love that, it. that last scene so weird because it's like so blue. Yeah, it's so like <laughs> I don't want to say badly co- composed, but mm-hmm. it's like there are no stages you really believe. I mean, it's not an effect heavy movie. It's, it's an yeah, obvious yeah. like weird way Projection, of doing it. Yeah, but again, you just don't care. Yeah. Like I always think. Problems with like visual effects like that—they only jump out at you when the movie hasn't got a hold of you. Yeah, and you are so into this conversation, you so badly want to hear what the two of them are talking about under the moonlight, sailing across this lake in the U.S. That I don't know that it could be bright pink with like polka dot water. I don't think you'd notice on the first viewing. Yeah, um, it's because the rest of the movie's been so noisy as well. You've just had loudness oh, projected at well. you for for, for claustrophobic so long. as well because it's like that's probably the single widest shot you get in the whole film yeah, with the background of the little islands and the trees and everything. That's probably like the biggest depth of field of any single shot in the film. That's a really good observation as well because it's not even just the submarine shots that are that are framed in that way. When you first meet Ryan, he's in his pent-up little office where there's yeah. all his different bits and, bits of books and the way the camera's framed is it makes... You know, it seems that when we get the whole briefing sequence where tiny office, no windows, the tiny, and it, it, yeah, no, you totally goes right. goes to goes to see his pal about the submarine. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're clearly in a big hangar, but he takes him in, immediately to his tiny mm-hmm. little office. He's there. Mm-hmm. He gets on the helicopter to go. And the way they film that, you only kind of really there's no wide shot of the helicopter with him in it. It's always either looking up or looking down. It's kind of like ironically for a submarine film, that last shot is like such a decompression. Yeah, like of just like the weight coming off your chest of just sort of like this impossible scenario that's been manufactured and somehow survived and is now being not even talked about. They're not talking about what's just happened. Yeah. Like, he asks me, you know, he says, there's one thing you haven't asked me, why did I do it? He's like, well, figured you'd tell me. Mm. There's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a real problem I think modern films have with, with treating the audience like idiots and I going, agree. if we don't say this, they'll not get it. Or if we're not ironic and snarky enough, then... If we're not making dumb jokes yeah. all the time, yeah. And I just think there's two moments in this film which no other film would do, right? There's that one at the end where he goes, you didn't ask me why I've done all this. You didn't ask me to explain the plot of the movie to you, central protagonist. And he goes, well, you know, it's quite a big deal. So I figured it'll just come out eventually. We don't need to do 20 minutes of exposition over that. Okay. And the bit before it, right, is he spends 10 minutes trying to work out how they're going to get them off the submarine. How can we get get these officers off this submarine? And he just goes, hang on. I don't need to work this out. He must have it. He must have thought about this before he left. Yeah, there's no, there's no need to worry about this. Do you know yeah, what? There's yeah. no need to worry about this. They'll have thought of something, and lo and behold, they have because that's just how that would have happened. And it's like no elaborate, oh genius brainwave I've got to fix all this. But none of that. Yeah. This here is a man who has a plan, mm-hmm. right? And we are going to trust in that plan to help it wherever we possibly can. It's a great example of how you can say so much more with, by saying so little. Yeah, uh, exactly, like, I'm exactly. A big, I'm a big, big fan of actors who are able to communicate. Mean, and obviously, you know, the script as well obviously does a lot of heavy, heavy lifting, but actors who are able to communicate such subtle, you can infer so much from just, you know, facial expressions. Yes, and then not everything has to be said. I think that's that's a really, that's a really important point. Um, but yeah, no, it's... I love this movie a bit. I, I, I was checking my letterbox review score before I logged in. I rated it. The last time I saw this was two years ago. 
And I rated it four and a half stars, and I was like effusive about it. And then I watched it in the in the pitch black last night because I wanted the the submarine vibe. Um, you went, I'm going to interrupt and tell you. It went for a five. I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt and tell you this right yeah. now. Right Go recently, on. I don't know if you saw. I put it on put it on the old socials. I uh, recently completely did my flat out. Got rid of all the light bulbs and replaced them with really nice, smart, like 2,400 color LED light bulbs. There were so many by other phone. funny things you could have set apart from. I've got different lights. Oh, don't worry. The sex thing's still there, like in the middle of my <laughs> living room, right? But I've got a picture here of Stranger Things, mm. right? When I put Stranger Things on, and I just need you to know, I watched Hunt for Red October in the same light. Oh. I did it. I did it. Or for those who can't see, I've basically just now got like amber light on the television, <laughs> red bulb in the lamp, and everything. So I literally, I did. Like Ghost low, is going to invade your room. I did the low red light. Yeah. I did the low red light for watching that film. <sighs> Oh, it. final fact. Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, have a distinct color palette for all three boats. Oh, yes. Uh, we got red for the old Soviet one. Yeah, uh, and but not, not red for the Red October. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. No, I love that. I love how chromey the Red October is. You know, I think that's that's a good point. It's all the, the color blocking and all of this is great. I love a good, I love, I love a good film where it's like, it, it, it's got a clear visual identity. Mm. And again, I think another example of, of how, you know, Nick Tierden did not miss. But yeah, um, I think, I think that covers, that covers everything. I think that's it. Just yeah. All I can say is, you know, if you've seen it and you've been whooping and cheering and agreeing with this, yeah, yeah. if you haven't, sorry we ruined it for you, but go watch it anyway. Yeah, absolutely, just go watch it anyway because it is it is a banger of a film, and I feel like this 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 affirms to me that that we now need to do Patriot. Games I would say I would abs- I would absolutely do the Jack Ryan trilogy. Well, with you, I, if think, you like. I think I think we'll do that. Then. You, can lo- you can lock you can lock me in yeah, Patriot I'll Games and you in present you're, danger. You're booked in now. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, this this has been. We Love Dad Movies podcast and a very lovely episode about The Hunt for October. Um, please let us know what you think of the movie. You can reach out to me on social media at Ewan Bruins Things and you can nag Cleary on social media. Uh, at Adam Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y. You can follow the We Love Dad Movies podcast at We Love Dad Movies. You can also join us on Acast. And yes, I will have the Patreon up soon. Those tears, <laughs> the, the tear things, the, I, I've got, I'm still thinking how the names for them is difficult. I'm trying to think of different dad movie names to have the different tiers. It's hard uh, time. The Hunt for Green October, because they are. <laughs> That's, That's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Clear yeah. and Present Moolah. Oh, that's also really and good. And Patriot. Pay. Pa- Patriot. Patreon games. <laughs> yeah, Patreon games. Oh, my God. Well, there yeah, we go. that, that, that five t- seconds for you. That, that, free. that tier will be committed to you now because it's now your legal property. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.